Alright, alright. I'm so excited. Um, this is another episode. This is just not another episode, but welcome back everyone. I know we took a little bit of break, a one-year hiatus break of Ubi Chats, and I'm so honored. I'm so excited to actually bring on this amazing gal here with us here today. I'm just really excited to where this conversation will flow and just the amazing things that she will share as we are both mental health advocates within our community here and I actually want to give her the full force to take up space and to share us a little bit about who she is. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so nervous. I've never done a podcast before. I'm very excited. Um, but hello, everybody. My name is Kathy Sukang. I am a board-certified music therapist at MTBC. Um, I actually just got certified this past May, so I'm very fresh into the workforce and like just diving into this mental health profession in combination with music, so it's all very exciting. Um, I work in an inpatient psychiatric hospital on the adolescent service line, so I run groups with teens in mental health. Um, I graduated from Immaculata University in 2021, and I finished my internship and got certified in 2022. Um, go Mighty Max, represent. Um, when I'm not running groups on the units, I also create my own music on the side. I released my EP, Take Your Time, in 2020. It's out on Spotify and Apple Music if you want to take a listen. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify right now, you could just like hop on over to take your time after you're done listening to this, <laughs> you know? Um, but it kind of follows my mental, emotional, and spiritual journey throughout the first six to seven months of the pandemic. And it was like my main way of coping through those really heavy and difficult months in COVID. Um, apart from my professional and creative pursuits, obviously I am a proud Filipina American. I immigrated to the US, to Maryland, when I was two years old. And I am the oldest of five kids. I am the Ate, currently suffering from oldest daughter syndrome. But maybe we can talk about that later. I don't know. But that's just a little bit about me. Hey. Woo. Actually, wait, I had like a soundboard for this. Let me give you a round oh. of applause. Oh, please. <laughs> That's so cool. amazing things that you're doing as a Filipino American oldest daughter um, just doing so much for her family and the community that's a lot and that's a lot of expectations to hold and this is just a clap for you because you deserve oh, it <laughs> oh thank you I'm like there's like that part of me that's like oh, like people are clapping for me like you don't have to clap for me like please don't clap for me but like I think and maybe you know, part of this conversation and like leaning into just this space to talk. I think I'm just trying to like accept the praise or accept like accept the affirmation. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So thank mm -hmm. you, thank you for that. Yeah, and unlearning bad truly, habits, I guess. <laughs> yes, and truly like accepting the praise from other people is always the hardest thing because the very important thing is as as long as we praise ourselves and like give our things at the very end but we won't be here unless it wasn't for all the the graces and like just being thankful for where we're at today mm. amen amen you're right you're right yes <laughs> so let's let's begin are you ready yeah i'm ready let's do it okay since you are fresh from college and like just going full force from transitioning to your full-time career what have you learned about yourself from pre and post college yeah so before i went to college so in my high school era i guess i was exclusively like the music kid and i i, I like i very comfortably labeled myself as like the music and theater kid just because there was no other like subject or hobby that 
really sparked my interest. Like I did all of, I was really active in theater throughout high school and I did choir and I basically was like, this is something I'm really good at. Um, you know, people, people really, like people really praise me because I can really sing and because I'm musically inclined. So you know what, I guess I'm just gonna stick to that. That feels pretty good. The only exception to this is being involved in youth ministry, which um, something that we have in common, our involvement in the CFC community, which is very interesting. So shout out to them. Um, but it was like, I was like, I'm only good at music. I'm just gonna stick to this. And, tr and like true enough, as I was like trying to pick a major going into college, I was like, well, obviously it's gonna be music based. I heard about this thing called music therapy. It sounds like, I guess, a fun combo of like music and helping people. It's both including my passion and something that's practical, great. I'm just gonna like jump in and see what it's about. And then by the time I got to my freshman year of college, which by the way, was very challenging. I really struggled um, socially. Like I struggled to expand out of like the few close friends that I had made. Um, and there are just a lot of factors that made freshman year very difficult, which I'm sure a lot of people as you're like entering college and transitioning into that space that can be difficult, but Eventually, I, I like applied to be an orientation leader on a whim because I was like, oh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like being like a discussion group leader in a retreat. It's kind of like being a facilitator. Like, I guess that could be fun. Like, I've done stuff like that before. And I just like did it on a whim just to see if I would get it and just to see if it would be fun. And that whole experience, being an orientation leader actually kind of changed my life because I realized I realized this other huge strength that I had the whole time I just like didn't know that it was there um, like I really had the opportunity to bond with like the new students coming in and I realized wow I'm actually really good at leading a group <laughs> who would have thought I'm really good at like <laughs> like I'm, re I'm actually really good at talking to people I'm actually really good at relating with people and like building these relationships and so that led me to become involved in other leadership things as I uh, went through college. So then I became an RA, I became an admissions ambassador, like giving tours around campus, um, became a tutor, first year mentor, and like all these things on top of like all the other clinical work that came like as a music therapy student. So like upon like learning that I had the strength in relating to people and like building these relationships, um, I found that these leadership experiences were actually really crucial to my development as a clinician and as a therapist, because by building those people skills, um, it's made like building rapport with clients much more easier and much more impactful. So, you know, but I never would have known that if I like didn't sign up to be an OL on a whim, if I didn't like, take the leap to try something new and try something that was like a little out of my comfort zone and out of what I knew. Um, but now I have this like really beautiful opportunity to combine these like two strengths that I have um, in the oh. career that I have today. So that's really fun. <laughs> right. And I think it's really like putting ourselves out there and like giving ourselves like that, like push like even if it feels like oh I, I don't think I can do this like oh what is this going to serve me uh, like in the long run like it is it's serving a purpose and like it's giving us that um, that resources or that backbone that we need when we're going to our um, career especially mm -hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely um, and I think um, one thing that you mentioned is like. Um, even before pre-college, like you mentioned that you were just like a music kid, like you were still, like you didn't know what you wanted to do, but it was just that, like trying to find yourself, um, and really like giving yourself like that grace to like understand like, oh, if I do, like just, just trusting like where you're going to end up, like you just had that full, like full force of like trust. Mm. I like the way that you frame that, like as a as a sense of trust, because mm -hmm. I think I think because a lot of the time, or maybe I've like grown into this person who's very like I need to plan like every minute of my life. <laughs> so I think like I think the fact that some of my greatest life changes or like some of like the greatest milestones in my life 
happened because not because I planned them meticulously, but because I was like, I'm just gonna give this a try and see where it takes me. And then it like took me to to like the next to like the next right thing to like the next important stage of my life. So it's very interesting that you picked up on that. <laughs> yeah. And with that, I kinda wanted to segue into of like what motivated you or inspired you to be a music therapist today. Yeah. So, of course, uh, so music has been a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. And from the get-go, I was like, there's no way, there's like no future where I don't do music in some way, shape, or form. Like, that's not an option for me. Because again, I'm the music kid. Like, what else am I gonna do? Um, and I actually considered, um, because I love performing so much, I, all, I even considered like, music performance and like being a musical theater major and like going out to Broadway in New York because I'm, I, I just love Broadway and I love doing shows and so I considered that pretty heavily for a little while um, but I think something about that like still didn't feel right and I'm also like not a um, I'm not a very competitive person and to like put yourself out there on like Broadway and like to audition and everything you know what I mean not to say that like mm -hmm. that's inherently a bad thing but I was like I think I'm too sensitive <laughs> to like have to to have to like really aggressively put myself out there and like compete for all these roles and like get stuck in that cycle if nothing ever happens so I was like I don't know if that life is I don't know if that life is really for me um and then like I learned like just kind of through a friend of a friend like what music therapy was and like the general sense and a lot of the times when you ask a music therapist, like, how did you become a music therapist? I think I found that like most of the answers are the same. Like they just like heard that it was a thing. And they're like, let me Google this and see what it's about. Oh, okay, I guess I could do that. And that was like how I ended up um, in Immaculata and um, going into their program, uh, how many years ago. But then I, you know, upon like falling in love with the profession and like learning more about it, I was like contemplating like what population I would want to work with and that's like a question that comes up with professors a lot of the time and so I didn't figure that out until maybe sophomore year of college when we were in our foundations class and at this point a lot of the professors I'm, I'm like trying to remember now I think all most if not all of the music therapy faculty, most of them were in, like had experience in psych and had experience in mental health. My foundations professor did, um, the two heads of our program had experience in like drug and alcohol and inpatient psych. And so they had all these stories and all these things to share. And then of course in class we're doing like our experientials and we're planning our mock sessions where like we like pretend to be the therapist and like we plan interventions on our on our peers and see how it works and so I was like I think I remember one day I was like pretending to lead a lyric discussion about something and I was like I could okay but like I could kind of do this though <laughs> I was like oh but I kind of like this is something I would want to do for real for real though because this feels really good um and so then and so then I was like that like sparked my interest in mental health and I think even in my own journey of like valuing my own mental health and how that's important to me. I was like, I really wanna like explore what giving that gift to others looks like. And so I like started to push my professors when it came time to, for like clinical placements and practicum, I was like, I really wanna be, <laughs> I really wanna be in patient psych. Like, right, we have, I guess to give you an idea that we have three different placements for practicum. We have our didactic practicum, which is usually like working with developmental delays and kids in like a school setting. Our medical practicum, which can either be in like rehab, a hospital, sometimes hospice, and like working with like the, like the geriatric population, which by the way, I learned very quickly that that population wasn't for me. Um, but when it came time for our psych practicum, I was like, I really wanna be an inpatient. I know with COVID right now, like that's really hard and that's really challenging, but please, 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 I need to be an inpatient. And my professors looked at me. I remember my, I remember like professors being like, are you sure? wanna are you sure you want to be an impatient it's kind of intense and I'm a small little girl I'm only 411 <laughs> so I think they were they might have been afraid for my life or they might have been afraid for me um, and I think a lot of people are scared 
of being an inpatient because it's so intense and that population can get really intense and heavy. But I was like, no, I really want to be there. I want to be there. So then I finally get placed there. The persistence. There. I know, right? I was like, I want to go. I want to go. Please, please. And so finally, so like they put me there. I actually had, I remember I had to interview for that practicum placement, which is not super common from my understanding. Like you just get placed there and like that's that. But like, I don't know if it's because of COVID or just because of like precautions and things like that, but I had to interview to be placed and it was a whole thing. But by the time I got there, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna do this. This is, this is what I wanna do. Um, and I'm like very fortunate and very grateful that, you know, come my full, my first, well, my first full-time job is back in inpatient and like working with adolescents. It's like, it's like the exact thing that <laughs> I worked for and the exact thing I wanted to do. And so I feel very blessed that. I'm just, I just feel very blessed that with that persistence and like with some strokes of luck and faith and grace that I get to be in this place right now and that I get to work with the patients that I do right now um I think I'm just like I think I'm just like struck by the humanity of the person you know what I mean and like how people especially patients in this population they get so labeled for their diagnosis and they get so labeled for like their behaviors like oh like oh like be careful of that person because bipolar disorder and like sometimes it can be really aggressive or like like oh like watch out for this person and because of x y and z but i really a diagnosis is just a small part of who they are and if you just give them a chance to show you the rest of who they are like even those you know even those parts of them that aren't super pretty like even the really really ugly parts like the ugly parts of mental health that nobody wants to talk about like the parts that people just want to glaze over like until we can address the rest of the person and the rest of the self like that's when the real healing can begin so i think that's really where i found this passion to like i'm like <laughs> sorry i'm like shaking just like thinking about it because i'm like Arr! but but like that's where real healing begins and i don't know i'm just grateful to be here <laughs> and that's why that's why it's important that's why it's important <laughs> yes now you were going on like that was so powerful like i'm just like yes 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 yeah. like, i'm just nodding my head because you are right like we are more than just our diagnoses like i feel like it's so really really stigmatized that like when people think about like someone in like having a mental health illness um in the hospital like oh they're crazy they're they're this and that and then when you put it into the perspective of our filipino community when we see them in like mental health um inpatient yeah. units we're just like oh don't associate with them with them like oh avoid like hanging out with this like your auntie is this or that and like you feel yourself like i'm i'm exactly like that but i'm like so scared to come out like like I'm feeling this so that it really like really hinders us from opening up so like when you were saying that I was like yes <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I, I love that connection back to like how the how the culture can be because like because the gossip like I mean I feel like a lot of the time the gossip is kind of like or like the chisme or whatever or like just yeah. like the talk of the talk of the town the talk of the titas or whatever it's always, I don't want to say written off, but it's always like, oh, haha, like the titas are like going at it again. Or like, oh, there's like that funny rumor going around again. But like, the words, especially when those words are like so, um, it's exclusive the word I'm looking for. Like when those words are like, oh, watch out for that person. Or like, oh, like, have you heard this rumor about this person? Like you have, I don't, you know what I mean? Like when you, yeah. Like when you really like break down some of the language and when you really, I don't know, I guess when like you take that funny veil off and you like really mm -hmm. take a look at what it is that they're saying and like how it's so normalized that we can just like say these things and it just gets written off as like funny or like not a big deal because if that's the culture, like what can you do? Um, but then that just becomes really isolating and invalidating for people who, who just really, who just like, who don't who need the opposite <laughs> of of like gossip and like things being said about them without them giving a chance to speak for themselves um i don't know i just feel like i don't know 
I don't know where this train it's of damaging. thought is going. It's damaging. Yeah, it's damaging mm. when, when like the thing that they need most is just not for someone to talk, but for someone to listen. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't need you to run your mouth about me. I need you to just open your ears for like a second and just let me speak and let me be. And like that could mm -hmm. make all the difference. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Just some, just some thoughts, I guess. Yeah, it's like um, the. It's not a. It's it's about the reputation. It's not about our. It's about a reputation of like how we kind of put ourselves out there. It depends on like what our community says about us and can really like hurt our own self esteem. Um, and you put it. And you put in a good words like. We we do need we need comfort we need reassurance and we need validations um, most especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even for you, like going into the field of like um, a music therapist, like um, have you? Um, what were the? I guess what I'm trying to say is like what were the negations that a lot of your family um, said? Hmm negations from family I think well I guess I don't know if there were any like outright negations like I'm very fortunate that my parents from the start were like okay if this is like whatever you want to do like we want to support you and I'm very grateful for that because I know that not a lot of family situations are as supportive um, but I do think that they, <laughs> I do think it took them some time to like understand what it was, <laughs> which is like understandable because music therapy is like not a common career path. And so, um, so they, so like they always come in with a lot of questions about oh, like what, like, so like, what do you, so what do you do? Like, what is it exactly <laughs> that you do? And so, and I think from parents or just from or from general family or I guess anybody who asks. Um, they are so curious to know not just the mechanics of the job, but then I also get questions like, well, why don't you just be a music teacher? Isn't that the same thing? Like, or why don't you just be XYZ? Isn't that the same thing? Um, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, it's not the same thing. Um, it's not, we're, I'm not like a music teacher because the goals are different, right? Where mm -hmm. in music education or in your music classes, your goals, um, are probably to learn how to play a piano scale or maybe the goal is to learn how to sing in a specific style like those, those are all obviously very musical goals geared towards developing your skills in music but when we look at music therapy <laughs> um, it's all about achieving non-musical goals music just so happens to be the tool Right. So the goal might be to increase impulse control. It might be to reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety, which is a huge one in the hospital right now. Um, to promote healthy relationships, increase coping skills. How can music be a coping skill for your mental health? So I have to like, <laughs> I like have, I like have my elevator definition of music therapy like on deck because I know that family is gonna ask, and I know it's not out of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I know it's not because they don't like it or because they think it's dumb. I think it's more like they just like don't get it, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is like, it's not because of anything out of like any rudeness like I just have to take my time and like, explain to you like what I do and why why I chose this for myself and why I'm passionate about it so it takes some time but I think I think I think over over the years <laughs> I've like I like I think I have it generally on lockdown but we'll see yeah <laughs> yeah and like um, it's a really great way to transition to like what was your perception of mental health before and to how has it changed as now that you're an adult? Yeah, so in my youth, I kind of fell under this misconception that you could only struggle with mental health if you like had this clear diagnosis of mental illness. So like. I guess, for example, like, oh, I've never been diagnosed with 
clinical depression, or I've never like been formally diagnosed with anxiety or OCD or XYZ. So I'm not allowed to have any mental health issues, like any any like awful feeling that I have. Like I'm just gonna have to brush it off. Like I'm just gonna have to move on. There are people who have it worse than I do. XYZ. So like when it came to you know my own mental health struggles growing up, like I allowed those thoughts and feelings to go unvalidated for a long time. And I think in a very interesting way, um, like like be, you know, be, me being a Catholic person, um, because faith plays an incredibly large role in my life, um, I think my instinct used to always be like, oh, like I'm just gonna just like turn to prayer and everything's gonna be fine. Like, oh, like let go and let God, you know, like all of those like very cheesy Catholic or Christian sayings and it's not that those things are like inherently false or like there isn't like truth to that but i do think that like um you know faith and spirituality needs to go much deeper than just like we're just gonna pray the feelings away or we're just gonna pray until this thing goes away for it to like actually be impactful in like maintaining mental health so now that i'm older obviously much of like that mindset has changed and i'm starting to learn what that balance is between you know using my faith as a tool and using faith as like my source of comfort um when it comes to maintaining my mental health and everything while also figuring out like what are the concrete coping tools that like work for me so i think like this there's this like analogy comes to my mind i don't know if it makes sense but it's kind of like saying like, like, say that you have, like, a test or an exam that you need to pass. And so I think it's not it's not like you're just going to be like, I'm just going to pray to God that I'm going to pass my test. Because if I pray, like, I don't need to study or anything. Like, I'm just going to pray that I pass. And then everything's going to be fine, right? <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, sure, prayer plays a part, right? So that, like, God can give you the grace and strength to complete this task or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are exempt from doing the work. And I think I struggled to learn what quote unquote doing the work was for me and how to like find how those roles can act can really go hand in hand and work together effectively um, in like my own mental health journey, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that really totally makes sense. And I feel like um, when it comes to faith and when it comes to our mental health, like there is this intertwinedness of like, what are some key like it's more than just like praying things away but it's more just like really addressing like what's going on with ourselves and how can we really um like build a found a better foundation that really hold us together um and i think that's something that um a lot of the our filipino community is a little bit struggling it's like how can we intertwine our culture with our faith and our own mental health? Because yeah. um, it can be mentally taxing, especially with a lot of stereotypical um, views when it comes to just praying things away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like that's like a trifecta of things. Like there's like there's faith, there's mental health, and then there's culture, um, and like yeah. I think I, I think especially now in my adult life, like I'm really like becoming much more cognizant and aware of like how those three things uh, take relevance in my life and how like each of those things have its own special place and how those three things work together to, uh, I don't know, I guess just like, because those are all like, those are three integral things to who I am. And so like how can I make like I don't know like how can I how can I like form my life so that all three of these things have a special place it's like it's kind of like having like three friends from like different spaces of your life like you have like your childhood friend and then you have like your work friend and then you have like your like I just met you off the street and now we're best friends <laughs> friend <laughs> and it's like how do I get these three people in a room like these three people who are super important to my life but maybe like don't know anything about each other and like 
how do I like get them in a room together and make sure that they all get along because they're all so important. Does that make sense? I'm like really coming through sense. with like these weird yeah. analogies today. <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. Like when you were like saying that, I was just like, it, it makes sense like three different people that doesn't know each other. And I think it's just sending a boundary and sending that space as you now mentioned it. Um, like how can I give space and how can I create this boundary so that at least like I want them to like like I want them to really get along but at the same time like I don't know if like they will be compatible but it's just like like what you said like it's just giving space like really in understanding their own like what where they came from first mm, yeah understanding where they came from I like that I like how you framed it that way and I think like, I think in my head, culture and faith like should, should lean on each other in some ways just because the Filipino culture is so impacted by Catholicism. But then like, I know there are like all these like new things coming up about like, I mean, obviously like Catholicism came about because of colonialism and like there are all of these things that we're unpacking these days. and. Truthfully, like I'm not, I'm not super educated in that space because I just haven't looked into it too much. But mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of there, there are a lot of conversations right now happening about like, um, I guess like this. What's I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but intersectionality. Probably, probably. I think just this feeling of like, um, of like yes, there were like these like important practices that were done by like indigenous people in the Philippines back like many 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 years ago before like Catholicism came about and like kind of took over and so I think there's part of me that's like uh, like this you know obviously I would raise Catholic and like this faith is so important to me and obviously it's so important to Filipino culture because we are the only like dominantly Catholic nation in all of Asia. Like these should go hand in hand, but but these like, you know, these these important conversations that are happening right now, it's like starting to like cause some like, um, I guess some like dissonance in some ways. And so I think I'm just trying to like I'm like in this process of trying to like reconcile with that and be like, okay, like this is where we're coming from. This is what we're trying to understand, and what does that mean for me now as someone who. Um, like who is Catholic and like intends to remain Catholic and like stay true to this part of myself because that's really important. Does that make sense? Yes, it definitely makes sense. And I think um, it's part of like, it's part of like a really a growing experience. It's like there's just so many things that's coming in and out, coming up and about. And it's like being able to also like stay true to who you are and like what you've learned and also like taking that to a step further of like what else, like questioning in a way that kind of grows knowledge from it and also like being able to still stay true to yourself yeah i think maybe it's like going back to my friend analogy maybe it's like maybe <laughs> i just have to have a conversation with this quote like the culture friend like maybe i just need to have like a chat with her and be like hey no this is like where we're coming from and I just like want to understand you better I don't know that I'll like I don't know that I'll dedicate my whole life to like this one friend or like this one aspect of mm -hmm. myself in that way if that makes sense but I do want to under I do want to understand I do want to understand this more so that I can understand where I can go from here a little more yeah yeah that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> yeah and even with like being able to understand that part of it like your other friend it's like how can i be culturally competent in a way when i'm like meeting different patients who are like going through um this battle that they're going through mm -hmm. yeah absolutely oh yeah wow you really brought it back to the patients <laughs> you brought it back <laughs> to the clients i was yes. like true <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because you will, because you, you will eventually encounter like a Filipino in an inpatient unit that's going through so many different things, and like you just realize, and like, wait a minute, I've, I've like had this conversation before, and like just being able to like have mm -hmm. that, um, that patient and like that understanding of like the so, of like how can I actually address like what they're going through. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's such that's such a unique quality of. I mean, that's like. I mean, obviously, that would be such a unique quality for me as a therapist individually to like reach a patient in that way. But it just it just that that thought just made me think about how I think that's a unique thing for a lot of POC therapists and a lot of like clinicians who are people of color who can like understand who can understand this like unique struggle between culture and perhaps another aspect of your of your being um I don't know just made me think of that yeah and 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 honestly there's a lot of musically inclined Filipino and one of the really great ways to like even like heal themselves is through music and it's if this is a way to like reach an audience and reach an individual to really bettering like how they see themselves and like put themselves forward And I think it's a really great segue to my last and not the least question, but how can we be a better advocate for experiencing mental health? <sighs> okay, so, I mean, there are so many ways, and I was, like, sitting with this question because I was like, I, I was like, do I even know? I mean, like, I'm, I mean, I'm, like, in this profession, and I'm, like, just now learning. I'm just now learning so many things, and I'm so excited to learn more about, um, you know, mental health advocacy and how I can do that in my work. But I think that the root of advocacy really starts with just basic respect and kindness for the person in front of you, which is like, which is like a very cliche thing to say. And it's definitely like easier said than done. But like, I do really believe that that's true. I find that like a lot of the patients that I've worked with so far in this line of work, um, you know, they come from these serious, seriously traumatic backgrounds, they come from these traumatic experiences and broken relationships. And for many, it like, it like, it like kind of like all started with like one bad event and that had this like awful ripple or like domino effect that like led them to become this danger to self or others. Um, But I also think that there's a flip side to that, right? Like I think that this ripple effect or this domino effect of events doesn't have to be like all negative you know and i think right if if like in this awful scenario if it all started with one bad thing and then it was a ripple or domino effect of bad and traumatic events like if we could like start with one good thing like one like if it's an act of kindness or if it's just like these steps toward like genuine authentic relationship like that could prevent that could prevent so much trauma right i mean life is unpredictable but it's nice to like see like well what can i control right even in spite of like life being rough for no reason like what can i do like how like what are the choices and things what are the choices that i can make with this person in front of me that can that can either stop this or like put a halt to this like really awful cycle that they're caught in or what's something that I can do to start a new cycle of good, you know, or at least to try to. So that's, I think on like a basic level, <laughs> I think that's something that everyone can do in terms of like advocating for mental health, because you never know. And not like, you know, you'll never know what someone is going through. And I think that goes back to like, you know, people being labeled or like gossip or rumors going around about someone like you just you just never know and it's something that is easier said than done but it really just like starts with kindness and respect and you know the dignity of every like unique and unrepeatable person um i think tying it back to faith here for a moment like i think i think sometimes like when i'm having difficulty with a patient and like a patient really tests a patient really tests my patience. Wow, I think like I don't know. I like find that there's this like voice in my head that goes, "Well, God still loves them anyway," and I'm like, "Ah, <laughs> I'm like, man, <laughs> he does." Ah, <laughs> oh. and it, and then it's like, man, like if I mean like that. I mean that's like a love beyond like human comprehension, and then, and it's like, well, how can I borrow from like that uncomprehendable love? for this, for like, just for this moment (laughs) and just for this second so that I am not adding to this traumatic cycle. 
right? Because being admitted to an inpatient facility is already traumatic, right? Like patients already come in traumatized and just by nature of like coming into this psych hospital, they're being re-traumatized. Like what can I do? What's something that I can do to, you know, to at least put a halt or like, or to stop this cycle of trauma for them while they're here? And like, what can I give and what can I offer them? Um, so that they can be equipped and ready to like go back into the world when they get discharged, right? Um, just like very long-winded answer. So I hope that all made sense, but that is like, that's I guess my general philosophy when it comes to like mental health advocacy, right? Like looking into the person and not what they present to be or what society deems them to be or what others deem them to be. Like it, the person, the person, the person. Um, also, another tip, if you have friends who are in the mental health, uh, who are mental health professionals, please check up on them because the work that they do, it can get really heavy. <laughs> it can get real intense, um, especially in the inpatient facility. I mean, obviously, mental health can be can get really heavy. There are there's like an, you know, and I've again like there these are like things that I'm like really learning as I'm going through this type of work, but. Um, you know, I'm like really learning what that ugly side of mental health looks like, like the side that no one wants to talk about and like how, and like to, to take that on and to experience that and to like be the person in charge of like um, helping patients cope with that, like that's really heavy and that's really intense. Um, and it's not not just for me, but like for the mental health workers who are who are with patients like 24 hours a day, and like sometimes there are patients who like need to be one on one with someone because just because of like the safety risk to themselves or others, for the doctors, for the nurses, for the social workers. If you have a friend <laughs> in any of those <laughs> roles or beyond, it's it's just so nice to know that someone is like in their corner supporting them. And I can guarantee you, if you're in a helping profession of any kind, whether that's in mental health or, or anything else, if it's teaching, if it's education, if it's any kind of helping profession, prob nine times out of 10, you're probably not the type of person to ask for help first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you have a friend like that, like if you, if you could like make the first move every now and then, and it doesn't have to be anything major, just like a text to be like, hey, I'm thinking of you, like how's life, how is work? ask them about work because they probably won't talk about work unless they're directly asked or at least I think that's how I can be sometimes but um yeah just nice to know that there's support there I am really fortunate that I have friends and family who are that for me um who are that listening ear for me I definitely like not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, there was like there was a fight that broke out in my group one day, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is so much, and immediately like I'm like I'm like typing and doing my notes and like immediate, but also like immediately I was like I was texting friends. I was like, is anybody available <laughs> to like? Does anyone have like the time or energy to like receive this thing right now because this is heavy and I need to talk about it? And then I like. I like called two different people about it and I was like, you'll never believe what just happened. Like, like X, Y, and Z happened and patient A and patient B did all this and that. And so I'm just like, I'm just so thankful that people are like, are just like there ready to, to listen to me. Even if they have no advice to give, like it's just so nice to be seen and heard. Like as much as a patient, right, or like anyone struggling with mental health across the board would like to be seen and heard, our mental health professionals would also like to be seen and heard. It really helps us um, prevent burnout and like anything else that could follow that. So my advice, my advice, I guess. Yes, compassion fatigue is real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did you say compassion fatigue? Yeah. I've never heard that phrase before, but now that you said it, I'm like, ooh, yeah. Compassion fatigue, wow. Yeah, because I think I recently just like learned that term like the beginning of this year and it's like that is so true like over this year I feel like we've been overly extending ourselves and like giving so much care and compassion but then like realizing like what about me like I need that space also like burnout is real but also compassion is 
and also is real. Like, how can we maybe take up space to, for ourselves? Because it's hard. It's hard as a mental health professional. It's hard as a someone in the field of just continuing, continuously helping people. Like, as a caregiver, like, how can we really give ourselves the space, the grace, and the energy that we need? Because it's it can be really mentally taxing. And I think, um, like, what you just, like, mentioned and, like, shared and, like, this entire conversation of, like, it's, like, it's just a diagnosis. Like, they're more than just that. Like, there are a lot of smart, knowledgeable folks who are diagnosed with this one thing, but it doesn't make them that. that that's not their entire identity. It's not their entire reputation. It's, like, really, like, who they are um, inside of that and, like, what gifts that they're being able to offer and, like, having that support. It's, like, that. the key thing is support. And, like, I love, like, when you were just talking, like, the support that you have, especially with everything that you're doing and, like, keeps you, like, motivated and fired up and, like, really that that light to everyone around you is just, like, really, like, touching. Oh, my gosh. That's so affirming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's probably because like, I'm coming, I'm like coming fresh off work. So like a lot of this stuff is like fresh <laughs> on my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. That's totally, that's totally like real. very real right now. And I'm like really grateful because like anyone that's listening is like, that's so true. Like, I think we are just like coming into this um, new lenses that mental health is being more talked about because it's real like the burnouts the the diet like people being diagnosed into depression and anxiety like there's a lot of people because the pandemic hit us hard really mm -hmm. yeah and it's absolutely. like being able to like find the resources find the people um the right people to like mm -hmm. really support us is really crucial and and I'm glad that you're here to like really share your story and like resources as well. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is my this is my podcast debut and I'm so <laughs> I'm so like I feel very grateful and blessed that like this that this is the podcast debut. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I don't think I could have planned for like a better space to I don't know, a better space to introduce myself to the podcast world <laughs> than, um, than Ube Chat. So thank yes. you very much, Chachi. Of course. Me. Thank you so much, Kathy. And like really fun three questions to just have the audience and the listeners and the you like get to know you a little bit more. And the fun oh. side is, um, and coming back to culture is, what is your favorite Filipino food? <gasps> oh, girl, I was hoping you would ask me this question. <laughs> So my my biggest Filipino comfort food is nilaga, and I feel like people don't talk about nilaga enough. It is so underrated. I'm like, well, I'm like a person who loves soup, and so like nilaga is very comforting for me. I love when like you put like pechay in it and like all that stuff. So it's nilaga for those of you if you don't know what it is. It's like a beef stew, basically like a beef soup uh, with like vegetables and beef and all that stuff. It's like. It like sounds very simple, but it's just like one of the most comforting things for me, and I'm very passionate about it. Um, but like some honorable mentions would probably be like balabok. I love balabok, and oh, yes. yeah, girl, I love balabok. I also love noodles. Balabok is so good, and um, and vegetable lumpia with like the soy oh. sauce, like the garlic soy sauce. That's my favorite. I mean, I like I like the pork lumpia too. You know, like the traditional like. You know, the traditional lumpia too, but I don't know. The mm. vegetable one hits different, especially when my mom and when my Lola makes it, it hits different. So <laughs> that's that. <laughs> and what food describes your own personality? Filipino oh. food describes your own personality. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I gotta think about this now. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh, are you back? Oh, yes, I'm back. You like went away for a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Filipino food that describes my personality. My instinct is to say halo halo, halo because it's just 
it's just like a little bit of everything. It's a little over the place, but like you take a bite, you get to know. I don't know. I think it's like it's like a lot of things that you feel like don't go together, <laughs> like a lot of chaotic things that go together. But like when you get to know her, like she actually it ever, it all makes sense. You just like have to like take some time <laughs> to understand what Halo Halo is, and then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Probably that. Oh, what are you currently binging right now that you would recommend for those listening? I think, oh wait, I didn't hear the last part of your question, but I think you asked, what am I binging right now? What show I'm binging right now that I would recommend? Yes. Okay. Right now, actually, it's funny. After this, I'm going to watch the new episode of Abbott Elementary <laughs> on Hulu. I love Abbott Elementary, um, mostly because, well, I have I have a lot of friends who are teachers, so I think it just, it's a show that reminds me of my friends, it's a show that's, like, based in Philadelphia, and, like, I'm not from Philly, but, like, a lot of my friends and a lot of the people I went to school with are from Philly, so it's just a show that reminds me of my, my best friends and people that I love, um, and it's also just so real. <laughs> Like, you can laugh about it, but then, like, even if you're not a teacher, everyone's been through school. So, like, all of the things that they go through, you're like, oh, no, like, this is funny, but also this is real. So, I really, I'm really enjoying that show right now. Um, other honorable mentions, Never Have I Ever, also love some good Asian representation there. Um, I'm also currently binging Partner Track with Arden Cho. I'm not finished yet. I think some of like, cause it's like a lawyer show. So some of the jargon is like kind of intense for me. I'm like having a hard time following that. But the plot is interesting. The plot though. So I gotta, I gotta finish partner track, but those are like my top three shows right now. But I've never watched them. So I'm like, maybe after, after school season, I can try watch them. <laughs> Just yes. to be stressed. Oh my gosh. And if you do, please let me know what your thoughts are. I love talking about shows with people and like absolutely dissecting them to filth. So if you ever if you ever get into any of them, let me know. Let me know. But this conversation um with you and I really enjoyed like having this time to like just just break down a little bit about like about like many about like the work that you do and like resources that you have shared with us today thank you so much for having me chachi i feel again i feel very honored and blessed to be here today